So please turn with me your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Let's pray together. Father, what an important section of Scripture tonight. Some strong exhortations for us. And God, we pray that we would become aware of the condition of our own hearts. That you'd begin to reveal and speak and show what's taking place inside of us. That we would trust you. We would walk in faith. That we wouldn't miss the rest, the promised land that you have provided. Father, we trust that you desire to speak right now through your word. We want to have ears to hear and hearts to understand. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, April 12th, 2017, 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. Today, once it's gone, it's gone for good. It's in the books, right? In this chapter in Hebrews 3, we see four times God used the word today. He's exhorting us with this understanding that we just have today. And specifically to enter into the rest that God has provided for us. The Old Testament gives us illustrations of New Testament truths. If you think back to Moses bringing the children of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt, through the wilderness, they came to the promised land. God had always told them, going back to Abraham, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Twelve spies were sent in. They see the land. They come back and give a report. Ten give this report. These guys are huge. They are giants. We're grasshoppers in their sight. There is no way that we're going to be able to conquer this land. The other two, Joshua and Caleb, they come back and they say, God's able to do this. They have a report of faith. The nation of Israel listened to the ten spies of unbelief. They don't trust the Lord. Because of that, they don't enter into the promised land. They don't think that God is big enough to deliver on his, his promise. And the author of Hebrews, he brings us to that illustration of not entering into the rest that God has provided. Remember the temptation for this group of Jewish believers was to diminish Jesus Christ, to not focus upon Christ. What happens if we stop focusing on Jesus? If we stop trusting who he is, we stop having rest, don't we? There's one way to not have rest in your soul, and that's to have a law, legalistic-based relationship with God. Because you're never doing good enough. There's always more to do. How do you know that God is pleased with you if it's based on your works? But if it's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, then we can have rest in his grace and have confidence in him. What's interesting about the generation that died in the wilderness, were they the people of God? Yes. Did God forsake them? No. Did they miss out on God's best for their life? Yes. How many times in our experience with the Lord that we're his people, he hasn't forsaken us. We haven't completely forsaken him either, but because of a lack of trust, because of unbelief, we're wandering in the wilderness. We're wandering in the wilderness. So it's very applicable for us. The challenge that we see in this is our hearts. In the midst of this today, 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 is the condition of your heart. 
that generation had hardened their heart to God, and that's what resulted in unbelief. My heart is somewhere this evening. Your heart is somewhere this evening. And to really say, God, is my heart right with you? So let's look in verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of heavenly calling. Therefore. If you remember last week, the end of chapter 2, we saw our merciful and faithful high priest who identifies with us, that was tempted without sin. So based on that truth that he's merciful, that he's faithful, therefore, holy brethren, God's called us to be holy. He's called us to be set apart, that we're partakers of a heavenly calling. Now meditate upon that a little bit. What does that mean to be a partaker of a heavenly calling? Well, it lets us know what our destination is. Because we're in Christ, we have eternal life. He's called us to heaven. And that brings us great joy and comfort. Does that heavenly calling have anything to do with what we experience today? Yes, it should. It should. It's not just this distant reservation that has no impact to this point. We can go through our days knowing that we're going home to be with the Lord. For us as believers, this is really the worst that it's ever going to get. As we approach tax day, April 18th, this is the worst that it's ever going to get for us. But the flip side, for people that don't know Christ as their Savior, this is the best it's ever going to get for them. This life is much better than hell and eternal separation from God. And so when we partake of this holy calling, it fills us with hope, but it also fills us with purpose, doesn't it? Say, I'm passing through. I want to know Christ. I want to share Christ. I want to make him known. So we're encouraged. We're partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus is to stop and to meditate. That's what the word consider means. It's to stop and think. Oftentimes with Jesus, maybe we don't give him the consideration that we should. It's too quick. We, we don't really consider. And so we're exhorted to consider Jesus. And there's some titles that are given here to Jesus. And the first is that he's an apostle. He's the greatest apostle, the first apostle, if you would. What does the word apostle mean? It means sent out. So Jesus was sent out by who? By the Father. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He gave up a lot in his mission, didn't he? Left the comforts of heaven, left the glory of heaven, took on human flesh, suffered in this life, took upon sin, the apostle who was sent out for us. I know it's the wrong season, because it's Easter and not Christmas, but you think about the incarnation of Christ, Christ being in the womb of Mary, Christ being born in Bethlehem, placed in a manger, dependent upon, upon Mary, the humility of Christ, all because he was sent for us, because he loved us, sent to the cross, sent to a life of suffering, our apostle. And then he's also the high priest. What does the high priest do? The high priest makes intercession on the behalf of the people before God. He's interceding on our behalf. He's made the sacrifice. The high priest would also make sacrifice for sin. Our high priest, Jesus, became the sacrifice, became the lamb that was slain for our sin. So he's our apostle, he's our high priest, and he's our confession. And confession means to agree with, to declare. You know, if someone says, oh, I'm a Broncos fan, and you get agreement, right? 
Or I'm a Patriots fan and you get agreement. That, that's confession. You're like, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm with you on that. So our confession of Christ is, is we agree. We're in wholehearted agreement of who Jesus is. We go on into verse 2. Who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was faithful in his house. Remember, one of the key ways that the book of Hebrews instruct us is through comparison. You know, how do you know a good taco? By eating a bad taco. So how do you know the greatness of Jesus? By comparing him to angels. And you go, wow, he's greater than the angels. So now we're going to compare him to Moses. And remember, these are Jews who are believers in Christ. And their tendency was to make much of Moses and diminish Jesus. So first we have a comparison with Jesus and Moses. Is Moses was faithful and also Jesus was faithful. In verse 3, For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. So very clearly, focus on Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses. Why? Because Jesus created Moses. Jesus gave the law to Moses. Jesus built the house. If you think of a, a great building, a great piece of architecture, the glory really doesn't go to the building. It goes to whoever designed it, whoever put it together, whoever built it. So as we look at Moses, if, if they appreciated Moses, then they should look at Jesus who created Moses, who gave the law to Moses. More honor goes to Jesus than to Moses. I think there's an application here for us. There's something inside of us that wants to look to a person instead of Jesus. I want a Moses-type figure in my life. Give me a strong mentor. Give me a strong pastor. Give me a strong author. Give me a great speaker. Give, give me a Christian person that I can look up and to follow. But you know what? Every person is extremely flawed compared to Jesus. Amen? You can be thankful for a mentor in your life, but never elevate a mentor. Always elevate Jesus Christ because people are going to let you down. Amen? I'm going to let you down. Every pastor that you know is going to let you down. Don't make much of a person. Make much of Jesus Christ. And here they're making much of Moses, but they need to be making much of Jesus. If Moses and Jesus were hanging out, what do you think Moses would be doing? He'd be making much of Jesus. He'd be like, guys, don't, don't be focused on me. And Moses was a great man, and he was a servant of Christ, but he was nothing compared to Jesus. In verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. God created all things. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which was spoken afterwards. Moses was faithful. He was a faithful servant unto the Lord. In verse 6, But Christ as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So we find the emphasis of Christ, the Messiah, as the Son. So the builder of the house is also the Son. So he's the creator of all things, but he's also the Son. And there's a truth in here. It says, he is the Son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope to the end. So we are the dwelling place of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's incredible. 
We think of the glory of Christ, the greatness of Christ, and he's chosen to dwell at us, dwell within us. He's at home in our hearts. Christ in you is the hope of glory. He lives inside of us. The people of God are the habitation of Christ. So he built us, he created us, but then he chooses to live in us. Aren't you thankful Jesus isn't far away? Jesus is very personal. This is relationship with Christ. He's living inside of us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. What's the exhortation in verse 6? Is to hold fast to the confidence in Jesus. Don't lose sight of him. Don't lose that place of trusting in him. Don't diminish him. Be concerned if you start to think or others start to tell you, well, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but you really need this. You know, if someone tells you, go pray about it and seek Jesus in this manner, and your attitude is, well, that's not going to help. That indicates something about my heart that I'm not holding fast to the confession. You know, never move away from the gospel. We've been talking a lot about the gospel as a church, haven't we? Never move away from the simplicity that Jesus died for my sins, that he rose again, that he's the Lord of my life. I'm holding fast to that. I'm trusting in that. You know, you would think that the longer we walk with Christ, the older that we get, that the less depravity that we would have. Wouldn't that be nice? I don't know. That really hasn't been my experience. You know, I think I'm more aware of my sin. You know, my, my depravity is alive and well. I need the gospel tonight. My, my trust is in the gospel for salvation. It's not in my own works. It's not what I contribute. That's what we trust in. That's what we hold fast and we don't want to move away. And so now we have this second therefore. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. So in light of the greatness of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, exhorting us today, if you will hear his voice. So the first time the word today is used in the text And it comes to our first point. There's four things that we're told to do with the word today. Is listen to God and others. Today, listen to God and others. If you will hear his voice. It's so important to first believe that God is speaking. Do you believe that God is speaking? Remember Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3? God is the master communicator. He's spoken in many many ways, in various times, in various seasons, but in this last days has spoken through his son. God's all about communication. And sometimes in my heart, and maybe in your heart, we fail to realize God wants to speak and he is speaking. We we make it mysterious, like, well, God, I hope that you would speak to me. And I think the truth is, is he is speaking. The question is, am I listening? He's speaking through creation. When we walk out the front door in the morning, he's speaking to us. When we see the sunset and the sunrise, he's declaring his glory to us. The primary way that God is speaking to us is through his word, through his word. Now remember, what's the big picture of this chapter? Enter into his rest. Enter into the promises of God through faith. Don't be like those who had disbelief who died in the wilderness. So what's going to enable us to trust the Lord, to enter into his promises, to abide in the rest that Jesus has for us, to listen, to listen. Jesus said that he's our good shepherd, that his sheep hear his voice. Do you know the voice of his shepherd? 
So the primary way that he's going to speak to us is through his word. What is one of the things that caused the word to have no impact upon people? One is a crowded heart. The cares of this life in Jesus' proverb, the parable of the sower. The seed is the word of God. But sometimes we don't have time for the word of God because of the busyness of our lives, the cares of this world. I got to get all these things done. I got to get to work. Got to get the laundry done. Got to get the oil changed. Oh, the oil changed. Man, 400 miles over on getting my, my oil changed. That's where I am right now on my car. That's what I'm thinking about, you know. I really do need to get my oil changed. And before you know it, we, the day, today, 24 hours, the seconds, it goes by, and we haven't been into the Word of God. But then maybe we get into the Word of God, but we're distracted, aren't we? You know, so I finally sit down, and I read God's Word, but my heart and my mind is somewhere else. I'm not engaged. I'm not listening intently. And there's a lot to being a good listener. And sometimes we go, where do I even start? I don't even know where to start in reading the Bible. The book of Mark is a great place to start in the New Testament. The book of Proverbs is a great place to start in the Old Testament. Read chapter 1, and then read chapter 2, and before you read, say, God, would you speak to me? Approach it with a pen to underline, maybe write down some verses that God is, is speaking to us and saying, I want to listen. God, I want to listen. Did we come tonight to this Bible study anticipating, God, you're going to speak. You're going to speak through the worship songs. You're going to speak through a brother or sister in Christ before or after service. You're going to speak through your word because that's who you are. And I'm going to listen. And I'm going to hear. Because hearing is the key to then my heart being in a place of trust with the Lord and my heart not being in a place of, of unbelief. Jesus really emphasized this with us, didn't he? He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Listen to God and also, as we see clearly, as we go through this, is to listen to others as well. Look at Verse 7 going into verse 8. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now look down into verse 13. It says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So listen to God and listen to others. God is speaking, but then also, as believers, we should be loving each other and caring for each other enough to exhort one another. What does it mean to exhort? It means to challenge, to take the necessary step. So we see something in our brother or sister's life in Christ, and we exhort them, and we say, today's the day. In love and kindness, considering ourselves, making sure we get the log out of our own eye, but saying, look, I love you enough to exhort you. Have you ever been in a dangerous place in your relationship with the Lord? And then a brother or sister in Christ challenged you and it woke you up out of your sleep and saved you from heartache? Probably most of us have, haven't we? Or maybe you haven't been in that terrible danger spot, but you've just started to wander just a little bit. You've just started to drift a little bit. And then a brother or sister in Christ speaks to you, they exhort you, and then, wow, it brings tremendous fruit in your life. So this takes a willingness to receive first and share. Listen today, listen to God 
and others. Are you the kind of person that can't hear from anybody? Even people that you know love you and care about you, when they try to speak into your life, it goes nowhere, you're a brick wall. If that's the case, people will stop sharing with us. We're not approachable. Like, I've tried talking to Eric, and it just doesn't work. It's like wrestling a bull. He's going to do what he wants to do, right? That's dangerous. We want to invite people into our lives to speak to us, to challenge us. If you have somebody that loves you enough to speak the truth to you, listen, listen. If it's coming from your spouse, listen. If it's coming from your kids, listen. If it's coming from another brother and sister in Christ, listen. It may even come from an unbeliever. Listen, okay, they're confronting me with something. I need to listen. It could save us a whole lot of heartache. It could save us missing out from what God has for us. What if the nation of Israel would have listened to Caleb and Joshua instead of the 10 spies of unbelief? They might have gone, yeah, you're right. God's able to do this. Let's go. Let's take, take the promised land. So if we want to be in God's will, be in the rest that's found in Christ, we want to listen to God and we want to listen to others. Let's go back to verse 8. It says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. What is the author of Hebrews speaking about? When they came to the promised land after journeying in the wilderness and they hardened their hearts to unbelief and chose not to enter into the promised land. We're encouraged to not harden our hearts in this way. Where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. So think about this generation and all that they saw in these 40 years from Egypt to coming to the promised land. They saw first deliverance out of Egypt through signs and wonders. They say God parting the Red Sea and walking across on dry land. Once they got across the Red Sea, here comes Pharaoh with his army. God collapses the Red Sea and Pharaoh drowns. Manna from heaven every day. On the Sabbath, no manna from heaven, but there was enough the day prior to last through the Sabbath. That's incredible, you know? Cheerios from heaven. Honey nut Cheerios coming down every morning for for you and your family. God's way of saying, I'm loving and caring for you as you go through the wilderness. At one point, they got kind of sick of the manna. They're like, okay, we're tired of it. Could we have some meat? God says, okay, I'll just give you quail to eat. They got so excited, they started just eating it raw and it starts coming out their nose and that kind of made God upset at that point. It's, Come on guys, can't you at least cook it first? God's faithfulness. He even provided meat for him in the wilderness. There were times when they had no water. God provided water supernaturally. Water came from the rock two, two times. That's, that's some cool stuff. You ever had fresh water come out of the rock? Colorado could become a lot more valuable, the Rocky Mountains, if all of a sudden water started coming out of our rocks. And and God did that, saying, look, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. The Bible tells us that their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. They experienced the works of God, I suggest to you, in a very great way, in a physical way, probably more than any other generation. But yet when it came to now the promised land and they're seeing the giants walking by sight instead of by faith, 
those works of God hadn't impacted their hearts. Hadn't impacted their hearts. The same kind of thing happened with the disciples of the feeding of the 5,000. They got to distribute the bread and watch the five loaves and two fish be multiplied, but it didn't impact their heart. God can provide for our needs, meet a bill supernaturally, but if we're not careful, it doesn't impact our hearts about his goodness. It just happens, and we're like, oh, thank you. But we're not moved in a greater way about who, who Jesus is. And we could beat up on this generation in the wilderness, but we've experienced more of God's goodness than they have. How so? Because we've experienced the regeneration of the Spirit through the work of Jesus on the cross. We're the children of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We're in the new covenant. They never had the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. And yet, when it comes to a difficulty in my life, it's a difficulty that I can see, sometimes it's difficult to believe. If unbelief enters my heart, then I have no rest. So what's the challenge here? As we see God work in our lives, that we wouldn't just experience it, but it would also impact us. In verse 10, Therefore I was angry with that generation, God speaking, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. The disobedience stirs the righteous anger of God. This isn't an out-of-control anger, a rage that we experience, but this is God's love of saying, I am extremely moved by the fact that you didn't trust me, by the fact that you didn't enter into my rest, you didn't enter into the best that I had for you. Where did they go wrong? What happened? It tells us here, they went astray in their hearts. This was a heart issue. Somewhere in their heart, they stopped trusting God. The exhortation to these Jewish believers, don't stop trusting Christ. Don't stop trusting his goodness. Don't go astray in your hearts. God says here, and they don't know my ways. So this shows that even though they were experiencing it physically, they didn't learn the ways of the Lord. In verse 10, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. As you study this in the Old Testament, once they decided they didn't want to go into the promised land, God says, okay, now you can't go in the promised land. They say, well, wait a second. Now we're ready to try it. So they went in and got defeated. Those that lived through that then wandered in the wilderness for another 40 years. What a terrible, terrible way to go out. Funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral to where it's only Joshua and Caleb and all of their kids and grandkids. It was that second generation and Joshua and Caleb that would enter into the rest. And so God says, okay, you're going to still be my people. I'm going to keep providing for you. I'm not going to forsake you, but you won't enter into my rest. So here's the second warning. Remember, there's five warnings in the book of Hebrews. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you who have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Beware. We talked about last Wednesday, yellow lights. Have you thought differently at all this week about yellow lights? What is a yellow light? It's a warning. It, it does actually mean slow down instead of speed up. It's caused me to think a little bit differently about yellow lights this week. I have been slowing down a little bit more than normal. I will confess to you, a lot of times a yellow light for me means, gun it, boy, gun it. 
You don't want to get stuck at this light for another five minutes. Church, the warning light's coming on. God's speaking to us through his word. He's saying, beware. Pay attention. This is something that's going to get you. This is something that's going to destroy you. Make sure that this doesn't happen. So we have to understand that our hearts are a potential for this. That this is written to me. This isn't written to somebody else. Yes, it applies to others, but I'm responsible for my own heart and life before God. Lest there be any of you who have an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. So unbelief is evil. That's, that's not how we would describe unbelief a lot of times. We would say unbelief is natural, but God says unbelief is, is evil. Remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Really, what God is asking of us, and this kind of shocks our system, is trust me. Trust me. God's more concerned with our faith than our behavior. You're like, wait a second. Whoa, wait a second. Because if he really has our faith, it will affect our behavior. Amen? We get concerned about our behavior before we get concerned with our faith. And God's saying, trust me. Don't have an evil heart of unbelief. But yet, we all wrestle with this. I wrestle with this. You wrestle with this. Faith can be a choice of the will. We look at the character of God. We look at who he is. We say, God, I trust you. I don't know what I'm feeling right now. Right now, I'm confused. Right now, I'm even filled with doubt. But I'm choosing to trust you because of your character. And God's character is displayed at the cross. God, you gave your son for me, so I know you love me. I know you have my best interest in mind. The unbelief is evil and results in departing from the living God. Unbelief results in departing from the living God. Why was this Hebrew church in danger of drifting and departing from God? Because of unbelief. They stopped believing that Christ's work on the cross was enough. And because of that, then they started to depart from the living God. I'm not an expert, but it seems like, based on the word of God, if you looked at a person's life that drifted and departed from a relationship with the Lord, you would find unbelief somewhere in that. An unbelief about the goodness of God. Because belief does affect behavior. What we believe really does affect the way that we behave. In verse 13, but exhort one another daily, while it's called today, the third today in our text, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We talked about exhorting one another. Why are we exhorting one another while it's called today, every day? Because there's a danger of being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we want to look and listen we want to listen to God and others. But number two, we want to see sin for what it is. Sin here is deceitful, and sin results in the hardening of heart. How is sin deceitful? Because sin tricks us, doesn't it? In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it tells us that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Our heart's deceitful, and sin is deceitful. What does sin tell us? Oh, this is going to be good for you. You need this. You deserve this. You're going to feel so much better if. Talk about false advertisement. When I think of the effects of sin, oftentimes I think of Samson. Are, are you familiar with this story? He was one of the judges of Israel. 
had so much potential, and yet he was a a he-man with a she-weakness, wasn't he? His problem was sexual sin and walking in unrighteousness before the Lord. And after repeated sexual sin, God then allowed the consequences to fall. Wasn't the first time. Wasn't the second time. It was after years of sexual sin. Then here comes Delilah saying, just tell me what is the secret source of your strength. He'd lie and lie and lie, and then he finally breaks down. Like, why did he stick around with Delilah? It was very clear that she was attempting to kill him, to destroy his life, hand him over to the enemy, the Philistines, but yet he stayed with her. Write this down, because sin makes you stupid. All right? Sin makes me extremely stupid. Sin makes you stupid. Here's Samson. He's being stupid. He should have never stayed with Delilah, but he was deceived by his sin to the point where then she cuts his hair, his strength departs, the Spirit of God departs from him, the Philistines come in, and what do they do? They pluck his eyes out. What was really his problem all along? It was his eyes, lust of his eyes. He was sinning with his eyes. So God says, okay, it's time. You're going to have your eyes plucked out. Then we see him bound, put on a huge mill where he's grinding the wheat day after day. So sin blinds us, but it also binds us. Now that is not the advertisement of sin. You know, sin's not saying, look, I'm going to blind you, I'm going to bind you. But then sin also grinds us, doesn't it? And here's this life of Samson and this picture of sin. So there's going to be times in my life, there's going to be times in your life where we don't see the deceitfulness of sin, but God and others around us will, and they need to be able to speak into our life, and we need to be honest and see sin for what it really is. I'm sure there's some area of sin in our lives where we're not being honest about what it really is. Have you noticed with sin in our culture We like to come up with different phrases, don't we? We don't say adultery. We say an affair. What sounds better? Affair. That kind of sounds fun. No, adultery. That's what God calls it. How do we like to speak of anger? Not in terms of sin. I got anger issues. No, I sin in my anger. See the difference? And so we're always kind of just couching sin or being a little bit more comfortable with sin. Yet from God's perspective, he's saying, look, sin's going to destroy you. How brutal is sin? To the point where Jesus had to die upon the cross. And thankfully, there's forgiveness of sin, but also the power of sin has been broken, that even tonight we can say, God, would you awaken me to the reality of sin in my life? I don't want sin to harden my heart any longer. I want to get right with you. Don't stay on the path of sin. Why? Because it hardens the heart. And once the heart is hardened, then eventually someone gets filled with unbelief and they start to depart from the living God. So we need today to see sin from what it really is. It sure sounds like to me from verse 13, it's pretty impossible to live the Christian life alone. As great as a podcast is, as great as it is to be able to stream church online, 
All those things are fine as long as you're in relationship with other believers. Because you can't do this relationship with the Lord alone. There's going to be times where we don't see things in our lives the way that we should. And it's our brother or sister in Christ that's going to come alongside of us and challenge us. So that takes some commitment and work, doesn't it? To be in relationship with other believers. But it's worth it. It takes time and commitment to be in relationship with the Lord. I mean, have you ever regretted being part of a men's study? Being part of a women's study? Being part of a small group? Taking the time to go to a men's retreat, a women's retreat, you know, texting a Christian friend, saying, hey, let's grab lunch and being honest with, with each other. It's always worth the time, isn't it? It's always worth the investment. We go on into verse 14. And before we do, we also have found in these verses an exhortation with the heart. So it's the third point this evening is keep your heart soft. Keep your heart soft. See sin for what it is, but also keep your heart soft. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart, because out of it flows the issue of life. How did the generation in the wilderness get to the place where they didn't believe God was bigger than the giants? It's because their heart had gotten hard. So pay attention to your heart and keep your heart soft. How do you keep your heart soft? There's a lot of answers to that question. But one of the big ways is to allow God to speak to you. Allow God to speak to me. Allow him to be honest. God will be faithful to point out things in our heart if we're willing to listen. And in those moments with the Lord, if we're willing, he can break our heart so quickly. He can take a heart of stone and he can turn it into a heart of flesh. He has those moments of saying, look, you're, you're in a place of bitterness and it's destroying you. You're in a place of selfishness and it's destroying you. Whatever the case may be of bearing that heart to the Lord. God always intended our relationship with him to be heart-driven. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Your heart. Love him with your heart. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart in relationship to the Lord? Keep your heart soft. It's worth taking the time. Where's my heart? This world, our sin, temptation, the sin of others, our own sin, it's going to have a tendency to harden our hearts. I believe that's a big part of communion when we take communion is we're reflecting upon Christ, but we're also saying, where's my heart? God, where's my heart in relationship with you? Is there, is there anything in my heart that you need to convict me of? Man, that's why it's so good to be in the word, isn't it? Isn't there times when you're in the word and God just breaks you and you go, Lord, really, is that me? And he's like, yep, Eric, that's you. Times 10. <laughs> oh, thanks. But yet it's so good. You're like, yes, Lord, that, that's right. I want to keep my heart soft. It is possible. Caleb and Joshua definitely kept their hearts in the right place. In verse 14, for we've become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, continuing to trust in Christ, continuing to trust the gospel. While it is said today, don't you love how it, that's phrased? While it's said today, pretty soon it'll be the 13th. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the re rebellion. The time that things are mentioned 
twice is for emphasis. For emphasis. This is the third time that hardening has mentioned. This is God's point in this text. Verse 16. For who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses. (laughs) So this shows us the deeper point. If Moses was so great to the point where Moses is more magnificent than Jesus, then how come Moses couldn't lead him into the promised land? Do you get it? Pretty emphatically here, it's showing us that Jesus is greater than Moses. Joshua, who foreshadows Christ, was the one that could lead him into the promised land. Now here's the exhortation for us in these last few verses. Now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness? Not Joshua and Caleb, but those who had an unbelieving heart. In verse 18, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. What kept them from entering into the promised land? It was unbelief. Therefore, here's the application to us. Since a a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So last application point for us is today, take God at his word. Take God at his word. It's not enough to simply hear God's word, but to hear it and respond to it in faith, to receive it through faith. And as we receive it through faith, then we're able to enter in to the rest of God. The application here is don't stop trusting in Christ. Don't stop trusting in the gospel. As you're trusting in Christ and you're trusting in the gospel, then you have rest. I hope you experience this as a believer because of the finished work of Christ, that you know that you're right with him based upon what Christ has done, and that brings a tremendous amount of rest to your soul. Amen? That's grace. That's something Jesus gives to us. False religions are works-based, aren't they? How do you know if you have eternal life, if it's works-based? Only if you've done enough. So here's this vivid picture of those that didn't enter into rest. They didn't enter into the promised land because of unbelief. And the primary application for us is salvation. I'm trusting in Christ, not diminishing Christ and believing Christ. And because of that, I have rest in salvation. Now, if I can have rest in salvation, do you think it's possible that I can also have rest in the situations that I go through in life? Yes, yes. God, you solved my sin problem. Not that I'm no longer tempted, but you paid the price for my sin. You've given victory over sin if I choose to to walk in it. How much more so are you going to be faithful in this situation that I'm going through? So today, listen to God and to others. Listen to God and others. I don't think God's done speaking today. He's got a few more hours before midnight. Say, Lord, what's on your heart? I believe God would want to speak to us every day. Give some time in the word. Give some time in prayer. Give some time to be still and to worship. Listen to God and others. Hear his voice. Please hear this. Listen to other believers. If you do, 
it will save you from a world of heartache. You may not agree, and that's especially when we need to listen. Okay. Lord, what are you trying to speak today? See sin for what it is. It's not cute. It's not attractive. We don't need it in our lives anymore. It's deceitful, and it's leading to a hardening of heart. Keep your heart soft. Ask God to make your heart soft or keep your heart soft. Today, take God at his word. He's good. His promises are true. Keep focused on Christ and keep trusting in him. There's those moments where we're wrestling with God's promises. Are God's promises really true? Can I trust them? And then there's other times where I go, oh, I know God's promises are true. God, I'm going to trust you. And as we do that, then we enter into rest. You know, it's been a, an interesting season a bit for us here as a church and church staff. Uh, Dan Hooker's out of the hospital. We want to share that with you. And thank you for praying for him. There's a lot of medical things going on. The, the best that I understand it is there's uh, the particular disease that he's fighting uh, attacks two arteries, his main arteries to his kidneys. So the, they've swollen up to the point where they were at risk of rupturing. You know, uh, for a lot of people that get diagnosed with this, it's already too late because it's very difficult to diagnose. So now that they've found it and they're treating it, uh, then now he's beginning to have some relief, and the treatment's going to go on for three to, to six months. So, man, he really misses being here. He was able to come to staff devotions this morning, but his heart is here. He's praying for you. You know, uh, my dad went through, you know, a little over three weeks in the hospital, and he's doing much better, but it's still ups and downs uh, for him. And we know that all of you are going through a lot of things in your, your lives as well. It's, it's, it's the nature of things this side of heaven. Amen? And in those days of driving back and forth to the hospital, my dad was in a hospital on the north end of, of Denver, which just getting through Denver is a hellish type of experience in and, in and of itself. But the hospital was in Lafayette, if you're uh, familiar, the Good, Good Samaritan Hospital. He was in and out of ICU uh, twice. And there was just times in that process where it really grabbed the hold of me, you know, to see my dad in that state, in that condition, and see the family round around, rally around him and care for him and to, to care for the one that's always uh, cared, cared for you. And, you know, I can honestly say I didn't really experience a lot of rest or peace in that until I stopped fighting it. And there was a you know, particular evening and the evenings I would call my parents and get an update when I wasn't able to go up. And my dad had had a bad day and it was kind of a surprise. You know, we would get good news and then there'd be bad news. And it was one of those days of, of bad news. And Amber and I were talking about it uh, in bed as we were trying to get to sleep. And I was like, you know, this is just the way that this is going to be. This is the way that this is going to go. This is not going to be an easy one. And I need to come to grips with that this is the direction that, that this is headed. I'd really trust this over to the Lord. Now, that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? You know, like just saying that to you tonight, now that he's out of the hospital and it's better, but there continues to be ups and downs, it's easier. But in that moment, in that night, it didn't feel easy until I got to that place of, of, of letting go. And then there was some rest and there was... There was some peace. To me, this is not academic. 
when it comes to the difficulties in our lives in different shapes or sizes, it's relational. It's relational. And that's exactly the way God intended it. It's where we get close to our Heavenly Father, we talk with Him, and we give it to Him. We say, God, I'm handing this over to you, and I'm accepting that this is what you have for my life right now. And I'm not going to fight it any longer. I'm not going to try to get out of it. I can't control it. That's a hard one just in and of itself. I can't control this. I, I can't change this. It's in your hands what happens with my dad's health. So, so God, I'm, I'm accepting that. See, and I think God in his love for us is like, okay, Eric, if you want to wander in the wilderness in this, go for it. If you want to trust me, I'm here. You know, and I don't know about you, as one trial doesn't necessarily make it easier to trust the Lord in the next. It'd be nice if it did, wouldn't it? Be nice if we could just get it and go, oh man, yeah, God, you've been faithful for all these years. I'm not even going to sweat this one. But when it comes to something that's big and difficult, it's a process, isn't it? But the Lord is faithful and he is good. And as we come to communion, allow God to really meet you. Sometimes the danger in routine is we lose relationship. Take the time to draw near to Christ, enter into the communion table, examine your heart, examine our own sinfulness. Say, God, I want to enter into your rest. I want to trust you. Is there sin that is in the way? Is there a situation I'm not putting in your hands? But it is completely possible because of who God is, no matter what the sin is or no matter what the situation is, that we can leave tonight in peace. We can go to bed tonight and rest. That's what he's offering to us. That's his goodness. Okay, Lord, I want to enter into that. I want to enjoy that. I don't know about you, but I would love, by God's grace, to enter into everything that he has for me. If it's a promise, enter into it. If it's rest, if it, enter into it. If it's a step of faith, enter into it. If God wants to defeat some giants and walk, knock down some walls of Jericho, okay, God, let's go. We would much rather be in the place of Joshua and Caleb. So let's stand and pray and enjoy communion together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your faithfulness when it doesn't always turn out the way that we would think and even when our emotions betray us. Thank you that your goodness is displayed upon the cross and you're trustworthy. As we enter into communion tonight, would you meet us afresh and allow us to be in that place of trust, trusting you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.